Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the biggest and bestest uh, dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to say until the words came out. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Now, this episode, we are continuing our look at the Brandon Jerwa era of G.I. Joe Disavowed with Master and Apprentice Series 2, Issues 1 to 4, the whole lot. From Devil's Due, February 2005 to May 2005. They were coming out at the same time as Issues 40 to 42 or so uh, of the regular book. That was uh, Union of the Snake and Dawn of the Red Shadows arc. Uh, now, I will not be talking about this on my own. I will be joined by some co-hosts. And first up, it's the Obi-Wan to Mike Qui-Gon Jinn. It's a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. I don't even have time to make some uh, Jedi joke about how Mark's reference parallels our actual relationship, because I just want to get <laughs> to our third host. Mark, introduce our third host, please. Making a welcome return, teetering on the dark uh, edge of the dark side, it's our Anakin Skywalker, also known as Jake Audrey. Howdy, Joe fans! Who's ready to talk motorboats, motorcycles, mountain retreats, and movie tropes? Now, for listeners who uh, are relatively new to the show, Mark, who the heck is Jake Audrey? <laughs> That's a good question. Let's ask him. Jay, who are you? Where you been? Longtime Joe fan. I've been um, just dealing with the, the crazy world outside us. And uh, like I said, watching watching Talking Joe from the outside for a little while and uh, just getting a chance to, to step back and enjoy things as a fan. But when, when we started the Disavowed run with yeah, yeah. the first four issues from Devil's Due and Image Comics reinstated... It wasn't just Mark or just me. It was also Jay. And so Jay was part of the trio of Talking Joe hosts for the first do dozen or more. Yeah. More, sort of like up to 27-ish? 27 I was, yeah. was going to say a dozen or more episodes. But yes, in terms of issues, raw issues. Yes, Jay, Jay uh, was an integral part of the Talking mm -hmm. Joe, Devil's Do, Disavowed team for... Uh, the first half of it and we are thrilled to have him back for this episode at the end of the brandon Droa episode uh era which might segue to mark so yeah jay you you joined us at the very beginning of the the brandon Droa era we had the first few issues and discussed them together uh, and then uh you took i'm trying to think of the military term you, took, <laughs> you, you got to the end of your tour of duty yeah. uh you <laughs> got your big duffel bag honorable, took it home. honorable discharge honorable maybe, maybe. Um, uh, and, and then uh, this is me and then you've been reading and listening as you've gone along so so what's your what's your hot take on the the devil's due brandon joa era uh you know as you've been reading and listening from the sidelines um i'll try to keep it as you know big picture as possible and not not delve into too many of the details i found that um 
Drew is kind of a mixed bag. I really like a lot of things that he does. And the things that he does well, I really like. But the things that he doesn't do well or the decisions that he made, I, I don't and I don't agree with. I really don't agree with. I didn't like a lot of uh, the last couple arcs. I didn't like that so many characters got killed. During one of the podcasts, one of you guys said that it felt like Brandon had to give up the toy box and he was determined to break as many toys as he could before he left the <laughs> toy box. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that that might not be too far uh, from the end result. Anyway, I don't know if that was his motivation, but man, I, I wouldn't want to be the writer that had to follow that run. I mean, he he changed so much stuff in ways that I I don't know. It was rushed. The ending was rushed. You know, sometimes you'll watch a movie or something. You can watch two different movies that have the same plot. Uh, and it just really depends on the on how it's done, you know, and Jure was kind of like that. It's like there were like I said, there were things that he that he didn't do or he did that I didn't like. But the, the way that he did it, he did it well, you know, like sometimes the dialogue was really nice or or the pacing was nice or, you know, I think if I if I were giving him Yojo ratings, they would have probably been in the in the six, sevens, maybe maybe pushing eight at, at times. But uh, yeah, I just I wish that he could have stayed on it a little bit longer and might have been a little more cognizant of the overall picture. Like I said, somebody's got to come on on that book after him and people are, are dead and oh, the team gets cut back to 12 again. I mean, that's like one of those things that at this point, after 30 years of a Joe fan, you're like, oh, the Joes are on the run again. Oh, the team gets cut back to 12 again. You know, these are not new ideas. Yeah, I don't know. It was, um, I read along as you guys were going. I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed listening. But in a way, there were times when I felt like, eh, I'm glad I don't have to try to make lemonade out of those lemons. <laughs> you know, Master and Apprentice number one was, uh, was pretty good. I didn't really have any, any, any issues with that. Snake Eyes Declassified. The, the real issue that I have there is I, I don't really like when, writers who aren't named Larry Hama try to put things into Joe continuity. I don't even like it when Larry Hama does it now. <laughs> uh, I didn't like it when he did it in um, where uh, Snake Eyes went back and they had the whole George Straw Hacker thing. I didn't like it then. I mean, I was like, nah, that doesn't need to, We don't need that. The guys is fine. 26 and 27 are fine. That's it. You don't need to tell anymore. Oh, you're talking about 144? The, the cover where he's holding Scarlet? Yeah. Yeah, that must have been it. And they're both in green. Yeah, it was one. It's one of the ones that they include in like the best of Snake Eyes paperback. And, and I gave that to my friend one time and I was like, you can just forget that last story. We uh, we haven't even gotten a Snake Eyes uh, declassified on this show. We did. We did cover Master and Apprentice one. Yeah. And uh, shall we dive into Master and Apprentice two? Sounds like Let's a great it. idea. We're going to talk about coming from Devil's Jew. It's something you wanted if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh, oh. So, creative team were story Brandon Jawa. Brandon, Brandon Jawa. Line art, Chris Stevens, Eric Vedder, and Scott Hepburn. Colouring, Herbert Kwan, Kevin Yang, and who 
it's Andrew Who, lettering Robin Spear of and Dreamer Designs, Troy Pateri, editor Mark Powers, graphic design Mike Norton, and an interesting credit here, Udon representative Jim Zubkavich. This is this is a segue. I have a note at the top of my notes for this miniseries. Talk about Udon Studios. So Jim Zub is a Canadian comic book writer. That's that's huh. how he's professionally known, right? This is the Jim Zub who's written Skull Kickers and Wayward for Image and uh, Thunderbolts and uh, some Avengers and Champions from Marvel and. For uh, nine years, he was at Udon Entertainment. He colored, he drew, he he was an editor, he wrote. And I don't exactly know what a Udon representative does for a G.I. Joe miniseries, but I, I think that means he's sort of the, not the editor at Devil's Due, who's running point on all this G.I. Joe material, but kind of the editor or the sort of manager at Udon. And... Udon is best known. When I think of Udon, I immediately picture its logo, which is a circle with two lines. It's supposed to look like two chopsticks seen from above um, coming out of a bowl, right? It's, it's named after, the company's named after this kind of Japanese noodle. And the closest parallel in American comics is, is Dreamwave Productions. Dreamwave existed for about 10 years and Transformers fans know it well. We've referred to it in the show. Dreamwave was a studio. They did art and design. They create, they packaged comics for other publishers to publish, and they also then published on their own. And then Dreamwave went away. The difference is that although Udon was founded a little later in 2000, Udon is still out there, right? So I think like Udon Studios or Udon Comics, the tech, the full name of the company, or at least the full name now is Udon Entertainment Corporation. It's a Canadian studio. And there's this very helpful sentence uh, on the masthead at the bottom of its webpage, which says, Udon Entertainment is a publisher of original and translated arts books, graphic novels, and manga, high production quality and English localization work. And Udon is is well connected to brands like Street Fighter and uh, Dark Souls and, and Mega Man. And Udon has been sort of the art studio or the art and color studio for a lot of Marvel comics, for video games and video game design, stuff published through Image and then stuff published more recently directly through by Udon. And it sort of jumps out in an interesting and nice way that here's this small studio, Devil's Do, which is making comics, which had broken away from image. And it brings on artists and colorists from Udon to package all the artwork for this G.I. Joe miniseries. And if all of these examples have sort of painted a picture in your head, I'll, I'll, I'll spell it out here. When you When you think of artwork that comes from Udon, it's anime inspired. It looks like the artwork in a Street Fighter video game. I don't mean the like the pixel art. I mean the concept art and the illustrations of characters on the side of the of the game or on the marquee or in the sort of instruction manual. So what Udon brings to this miniseries is a very different look as compared to 
uh, Stefano Caselli on the first Master and Apprentice or Tim Seeley, who was drawing the then concurrent issues of G.I. Joe. And just as sort of an, an announcement, like, oh, there's a G.I. Joe miniseries that's about to come out and it's going to have art by one of these studios that has really uh, re a really recognizable style, although certainly Udon has a wide range of, of styles based on all those properties. So going into this, I'm excited that this is going to look different. Mm. Yeah, and and I guess what you're saying is that a good chunk of this team are, are sort of fielded to the book by by Udon that, that Devil's Due has reached out to Udon Studios, and they've said, "I'll tell you what, Chris Stevens, Eric Vedder, and Scott Pepburn, who work with us, they'll do a bang up job. Let's uh, we'll we'll finagle all of the you know wrangling." around that of putting the team together you know you give us this the script and and we'll do we'll do the hard bit of actually getting all of the art and uh and stuff together for you and we'll even create you a cover for for b and just credit it to udon and not say who the actual person is yeah and and uh udon did some of the other covers as well though that though the the talents are uh credited also, another thing worth pointing out, I mentioned this when we got to G.I. Joe versus Transformers Volume 2, that there's this look, which I think was reasonably inspired by what Dreamwave was doing with its Transformers comics, where characters are penciled and inked, backgrounds are penciled, and then digitally painted to look like animation backgrounds. And that's what's happening basically here in this second master and apprentice miniseries uh, you know a little bit more a little bit less depending on the on the issue and the panel but that's the overall look that there are hard edge cell shading colors for all the characters uh there tend yeah. to be sort of thicker black outlines for the characters and backgrounds tend to be softer uh because they've been drawn and mostly cleaned up in pencil and then they are you know digitally painted Yes, good observation. Shall we look at the covers? Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. I mentioned uh, I mentioned one not credited to anyone apart from Udon, but otherwise, let's have at it, Tim. Sure. There are uh, two covers each for all four issues. I'm not going to talk all about eight covers, but I, I will say uh, there are a couple standouts and a couple, whatever the opposite of a standout says, stand in. Um, <laughs> Sit down. Uh, I think Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> um, cover 1A shows Storm Shadow in his full Devil's Do redesign costume uh, with all of the, the shoulder pads and all the black ribbing that I think is really cool, but also really overdone. And... Uh, Junko, uh, his his apprentice, um, sort of large, enlarged and behind him and a little bit faded back. And then behind them, I don't quite know what we're looking at. I don't know if it's sort of the white background is being shattered like glass or paper and there's something red behind it. Or if this is a red, if this is red lettering in like a Japanese language uh, script. That'd be my guess. This drawing to me just looks like Street Fighter art. And I say that as a compliment, right? It, there's 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 tension. Junko is is knocked back, right? The the black outlines of of her are not fully black. Storm Shadow looks like a badass. It does look a little bit like he's reaching behind and going. Oh, oh, oh. 
Uh, okay, yes, I guess I guess compositionally, uh, Mark is Mark is going to forever ruin this cover for anyone who looks at it right now because the oh no, it's not ruined. Shadows, his left hand uh, is let's just say below Junko's chin um, <laughs> and above her rib cage. <laughs> uh, the cover to the cover to 2A is something that to me just prints too dark, too murky, mm. uh, too too muddy. Both um, of the number the, two covers were just underwhelming. The yeah, the cover to 2B is drawn by Andy Brace, who who did a couple Hulk covers around this time, and um, this is one of those covers. Uh, I guess it's Storm Shadow. It's not entirely clear. Yeah, someone who's mostly um, backlit and therefore in shadow is uh, pointing a sword at you, and um, on the end of his sword is it's really hard to tell because it's so dark. It's Cobra Commander's hood, but uh, the two of Master and Apprentice two is mostly covered up. And I think on a miniseries like this, I think on a book like X Men or a magazine like Rolling Stone, you can cover up half the logo and everyone understands. I think this you can't. This is a sequel miniseries that's got a particular sort of long title. Um, uh, Stefano Caselli returns for uh, a cover, uh, issue 3B, and, and there's that signature, like, the, the furrowed brow that Caselli does. Like, everything about this is furrowed. Like, <laughs> the, like the whatever Storm Shadow's mouth is doing behind his mask, that's furrowed, and all the ribbing on his, his, his arms and his gauntlets. Uh, the cover to 3A looks like a weird cropping of a larger image or like someone took a panel and blew it yes. up and turned it into a cover, not That's knowing what, what they were say. doing. It very, is it Jejo 31? Uh, the cover, the cover where um, uh, Snake Eyes is in the foreground Destro's and Destro is coming through a doorway behind him and we're looking up at both of them. Uh, this, this Master and Apprentice 3A sort of refers to that i think by accident i think coincidentally um but it's it's a weak composition Mm. and it's unclear sort of what's happening in the extreme foreground if there's one red ninja if there's two storm shadow's arms are a little bit long the sort of amount of negative space above him sort of below his arms is really unsatisfying and you know both the covers to four are you know good yeah I think cover cover three a three a there is a, a definite sit down. Yeah. Cover. Now see, like I said, the, the covers are a mixed bag because like number four, both of the covers I think look really sharp. N- number one, they're both good for different reasons. Number three, uh, you got that bad one. Number two, that like I said, they're both just kind of underwhelming. I feel like there's at least four great covers in there. Yeah, cover cover four B by Kalman Androsky. Um, with her taking her mask off, I think it's really strong. It's uh, you know, great color, sort of. She's oh, yeah. got this this great deranged expression. Yeah. On her face, it, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's it's one of those covers that maybe you skip past immediately, um, you know, initially. But if you sort of spend a little bit of time lingering on it, there's 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 more and more, you know, as you look at it, it's. Uh, I think yeah, great cover. My only problem with the number four covers is it's a it's a continuity error by issue four. Uh, in the series, Junko doesn't have any hair, right? And on the cover, I'm, she does. So I'm okay with that because yeah, for yeah. Me, I'm, I'm. I, cover, like I said, it's a minor thing. A cover it's, is an exaggeration of what happens. Yeah, you know. And if someone is in their civilian clothes, I want them in their costume on the cover. That kind of thing. So my comment for 4B, where Junko's taking her mask off and she looks deranged, really nicely drawn. 
this is um is that storm shadows mask is gray and the background behind him is the same gray and i think that's a choice i think he and the background are supposed to you don't he doesn't pop if his mask was white or a very light gray he would pop so I, i think this is to make her pop more but i do think it gets a little lost if this is Storm Shadow or someone else, because the sort of rule is Storm Shadow is in white. He's not in gray. And, um, you know, the same way that if you had snake eyes in green, you might think, oh, is that beachhead? You know, it's like we have mm-hmm. to be very particular with our G.I. Joe iconography. So I, I wish there was more of a difference between uh, Storm Shadow's face mask and the background behind him. Um, this story was not collected. Is that correct? The, the first Master and Apprentice miniseries was collected Mm -hmm. uh master and apprentice 2 did not get a trade paperback uh release from from devil's do and i'm i haven't checked before finishing this sentence but i'm assuming it doesn't show up in the disavowed collections from idw that include the devil's do run i don't know for sure but quite possibly not um so it's it's a little exciting to have these uh, four issues. I mean, I'm reading all these issues for the podcast as issues, not as books and not online. Uh, but it's a little bit extra special to have these issues because that is there is no collection of them. There is no hardcover mm-hmm. or softcover. Now the question is, co-hosts and dear listeners, does this story need to be collected? <laughs> Good lead. Let's find out, shall we? Um, but before before we start saying what we think of the of these issues, let's find out what happens to inside them in a plot breakdown. Billy Kessler, the son of Cobra Commander, has traveled to the South China Sea to visit his old friend Tommy Arashikage, better known as Storm Shadow. Storm Shadow has settled down. He's left G.I. Joe and Cobra behind him. He even has a new love in his life, the one-time killer, Junko. <laughs> With that Storm Shadow, he really knows how to pick him, am I right? His friend is happy. The streets are alive and people are celebrating, literally. Billy feels like it could be a whole new beginning for him. And then his dad shows up with a bunch of night creepers packing machine guns and promptly shoots up the place. A chase ensues, and Billy and Storm Shadow are trapped in an out-of-control elevator, and Junko is captured by Cobra. With the help of his cousin Jinx and the G.I. Joe Samurai Budo, Storm Shadow and Billy track the Cobras to the Red Ninja underground sanctuary in the mountains of Tibet. Inside the tunnel, Storm Shadow discovers Junko has been brainwashed by Cobra. She attacks him, and in his horror, he is overcome. The next day, Snake Eyes and Kamakura arrive, having received a distress call from Billy and Budo. Snake Eyes and Kamakura chase the Cobras into the tunnel as Storm Shadow faces Junko. Again, Storm Shadow is bested and it is only the timely arrival of Billy Kessler, who really started this whole mess in the first place, that snaps Junko out of her trance and saves Tommy's ass. Junko, feeling guilty for the pain she has caused, leaps to her death in the darkness of the caves. Later, Storm Shadow spreads the ashes of the fallen in the sands of the frozen desert, and Billy Kessler tells him he's on his own now, and Billy walks off by himself to try to find someone else's life to ruin. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> I almost called it Billy Goes to Hong Kong, but I wasn't sure they were in Hong Kong. So <laughs> it just says um, South China Sea, kind of like when they say, oh, Southeast Asian conflict. Mm. <laughs> Somewhere that direction. Yeah. Well, I done read a heck of a 
lot of comics, some of them are great. The team are all on it, but some are a bit cack. They really are whack. Before the nitpicks come out, I'll giving it my bestest, and nothing's gonna stop me from trying to be positive, so I'll pause my scorn to put up two thumbs and turn my frown upside down. Take advice, it cannot wait. Say something nice. Let's keep things positive first of all and, and maybe maybe let's go with a, a top level what did we like about about the series i'm happy to go first go first go ahead i liked that we returned to the scene of the crime from issue 27 that introduced this whole dynamic of uh satan as the red ninja leader yeah. uh where snake eyes Bested him in combat and, and became the, the the red ninja leader, and then we've not seen that that since then until now. So it was great that um, actually that that interesting storyline was. Yeah, I was afraid um, that we weren't going to get any resolution for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I always I always like it when uh, there's some there's some follow up to you know a significant event like that, and and it's even more exciting when it it can potentially is quite a lot later. You know, we've got those traditional Larry. Uh, sort of dangling threads that he might leave for the best part of a hundred issues sometimes and then mm-hmm. return to. So uh, that that was uh, that's great. Which begs a question, Mark. Before Jay or I jump in with our nice things we like about this, the first Master and Apprentice takes place between the end of the Marvel run and the beginning of the Devil's Due run. When does Master and Apprentice two take place? My interpretation was it was basically taking place now. So a lot parallel to the main G.I. Joe series. Okay, and it and it and it has to have taken place after say issue twenty seven because of the Red Ninja Absolutely. status right. quo with Satan. Yeah, so we it's it's post the Satan status quo. It's definitely after the first Master and Apprentice. There's some, you know, there's some sort of elements there that it, it kind of follows up on. And you know, including including the sort of the Budo Jinx relationship, which I think was only really seen in, in that series before. And in terms of where Storm Shadow is at, it kind of recently in the main book um, helped out the Joes and sort of finally kind of broken away from Cobra, but not said that he'd joined them. And so he's kind of, I, I get the impression that, it, that it's after, after all of that bit. So he's like his own independent agent. And then there's a part where they're trying to reach the Joes and they can't really get hold of them, but then they do. And I was imagining that, you know, that's maybe maybe the whole Red Shadows plot happening there, or or maybe one of the other plots. <laughs> There's always something going on, and Snake is always at the center of it. But um, <laughs> but you know, imagining that that maybe it's the Red Shadows plot that uh, that has got Snake Eyes and um, Kamakura sort of tied up, and then that gets resolved, and then they're freed up to come and you know, try and come and save the day here. Okay, that's. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was a little confused because at the beginning of issue one, I thought, "Oh, this must take place after Master and Apprentice one, but still before reinstated." But then the the Satan stuff shows up, and it 
And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, this I guess this is finger quotes. And now, Jay, what's some top-down positives you have about this? I liked a lot of it, actually. Um, you know, not not trying to be a smartass. It's like I said, it's a it's a it's a Brandon Jerwa joint, as they say. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot to like with Jerwa, especially. I haven't read anything that he's written ever since G.I. Joe. So I, I'm I'm only assuming that and hoping that he's gotten better, you know, because he's good here. He's good uh, when he's on on Joe. Yeah, I like a lot of it. We'll get we'll get to the negatives in a minute. I like that it followed up with the the Red Ninja stuff. I did like that because I thought when we were reading it that we weren't, you know, when when Brandon's run was cut short, I was like, man, we're you know, we're not going to get a follow up on that. And that is a significant thing. Snake Eyes taking over the Red Ninja is is really significant. Leaving uh, Chebang there uh, plays a significant part in the story. So that was cool. I, I always love Billy stories. Uh, a lot of people don't like Billy. I do. I love his line in here where Junko's talking about, oh, she killed a guy and all this stuff. And Billy's like, I'm the son of the most famous terrorist on the planet. He's like, you know, you're not, uh, I'm nobody to, to, to cast shade on anyone, you know? Uh, so I always like Billy's stories. Storm Shadow is always, you know, one of my favorites. Gotta love Storm Shadow. I liked it overall. I thought it was good. But yeah, there was, a, and, and I mentioned movie tropes in my, uh, in my, my intro it's fun to read Jerwa stuff and, and point out or pick out little things that, you know, you, you see from movies. I know that I've seen it before. I can't quite place it. They drop off the edge of the building. They grab the ledge. They swing back inside. That was a movie thing for sure. What else? Of course, the motorboats, the uh, motorcycle, all that. Junko falling down the edge at the begin or of the, at the end of the story uh, made me think of uh, Elsa in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's fun. I mean, reading reading Jerwa's stories a lot of times are like uh, you get to to see these uh, movie tropes and and things, and he makes them work more often than not. So I liked it. I, I overall I liked it. <laughs> oh, the other one that I thought was funny, and I um, I actually did a longer plot breakdown uh, and and mentioned more of the stuff in it. But when um, when they arrive at Tibet and and Storm Shadow and Jinx go into the tunnels. And Billy and Budo take the helicopter up to a higher altitude to try to get a signal to the Joe base. They were only on the ground, you know, for, for a couple minutes, uh, right? So sometime during that couple minutes, um, the alien queen had enough time to get in the Salako and lay... Wait a minute, what? No, that's the same thing. <laughs> it's like they're up there and then, oh, well, here's Slice and Dice. They've snuck aboard somehow. And, you know, if, if you're an alien fan... You watch Alien 3 and you go, okay, the queen was on the ship. She didn't have time to lay an egg. You're you're screwing the whole thing up here. But it's a movie, and uh, and it's a, and, and in this case, it's a movie trope that worked for the moment, so I'll go with it. And a lot of it is like that. It's uh, it, it works for the moment. I love ninjas. I love underground stuff. I love brainwashing and Electra. So, yeah. Yeah, Jun- Junko does have quite... Junko does have quite the electric costume here different oh, colors yeah. but yeah um, also maybe um a sarge ventress from um star wars clone wars as hmm. well jay mentioned like movie tropes and quotes and things and um something i posted on our facebook the other day oh yeah uh, immediately after reading this was there was a quote <laughs> from satan he says you cannot simply walk away from cobra <laughs> and and i and i and i sort of put in the uh, boromir um meme picture one does not simply walk into Mordor. 
and uh, tagged Brandon and said, uh, was this intentional? <laughs> was this- yeah, I wonder how many, you know, I, like I said, when, when I'm reading it and I see like Junko falling in the, in the crevice at the end and, and stuff, and I, you know, and I, and I just think, is he putting, does he put that stuff in intentionally or is it just these are cool moments in movies? That it all goes find in the melting them, pot. Yeah, that find themselves. I mean, was it intentional? You know, I, I don't know. I, I it, it was fun. I liked it. My my top down positives are that uh, I really like the cover to issue one A. It's so exciting in its rendering and that's the color the mon- and the montage one. That's Storm Shadow in front of Junko, and then the sort of red and white behind them, red and off white. <laughs> that one. Uh, the art is stronger in the first issue or two than in the rest of the series, but overall, it looks so different than mm. other G.I. Joe comics. And if you've got a story about ninjas, some of it takes mm. place in, you know, Hong Kong or Tokyo, um, it's a fit that you have artists drawing it like anime or like manga, and yet it's still recognizably, you know, western comics you know gi joe action comics so i like how the art starts and i i like some of the color and the approach to the color and art and i like the idea of storm shadow taking on an apprentice as a as a bookend to the first master and apprentice and sort of just the existence of kamakura uh and i like i think the final scene is quite lovely the the spreading of the ashes in a circle and having the six remaining red ninja now sort of like ceremonially like which sort of in name like reborn as as a new clan for storm shadow to be in charge of because he needs a fresh start and you know they've been sort of jerked around Uh, but the actual sort of you know snow in the mountains with the circle of swords i thought the actual the actual final scene was was quite uh, dramatic and a, a nice cap. And I haven't liked a bunch of Brandon Joa endings. So this was a, a nice uh, turn. Yeah. And um, Storm Shadow was given a new name, I guess, at the end of the, the series as well. The Phoenix Master of the Arashikage clan. Um, because I think, you know, all of the others, you know, Soft Master, Hard Master, they've all got their master names and, and Snake Eyes is known as like the the silent master has 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 storm shadow got a definitive master name storm shadow was he was they called him the young master i think ah yeah you're right that was when he was younger in 20 right yeah (laughs) so that doesn't apply anymore he's like can i get the the early middle-aged master now (laughs) let me get my domes my back pills before we into the dojo the the other the other top down say something nice from from me i think was that i think we've talked about brandon joe was and and the issues that he's done that there's often um a lot being packed in and sometimes it feels like there's maybe too much being packed in it felt like this was quite bright and breezy a, a lot happening but not maybe feeling quite as over compacted as, as sometimes some of the other issues have have been it sort of felt like Quite a lot happened each issue, but but it wasn't a case of oh my word I'm struggling to follow, follow this. There's there's just too much to hold together. So I'd say yeah, bright and breezy 
four issues, four issues felt enough for the story that was being told. Generally. I'm with you until issue four, when there's now in some caverns, there's a fight between oh, yeah. Billy and Kamakura and Kyle and Jinx and Snake Eyes and mm-hmm. Satan and Slice and Dice and some red ninjas and maybe a demon on fire with a sword. Hard to tell. And <laughs> and it um, all happens really quickly. And, and like- also Junk and also Junko. And did I mention uh Storm Shadow and and uh Udo. and the, the the fight isn't awesome or fun or cool. It's yeah. it's sort of okay. It's not it's not terrible, but it's sort of considering how many cool characters there are. Um there's the sort fights of fights in the beginning were much better. The the cage fights, I mean, hell, they spent in issue number one, there's at least two, two full three, pages four, which are five. just blow by blow of these fights. And then and then number four, like like you said, Tim, we have these this huge important battle, and it's like literally, because I you know, I was looking at it, looking at the pages, in in the, the four or five pages of the finale, you've got each page is set up where it's like maybe a couple pages in in one area, and then the middle panel is Snake Eyes and the others chasing you know chasing uh, Satan into the tunnels, and then there's a couple more panels of Storm Shadow and Junko turn the page. A couple more panels of Storm Shadow and Junko, and then one panel of Snake Eyes in them, and and Billy goes there. It's literally like this. They're like, oh, we gotta chase Satan and, and the Cobras, and and that's one panel. And then they go and chase them and then they encounter them in the next panel. And then in the third panel, Billy says, I got to go back and help Storm Shadow. And he turns around and and goes back. And it's like, well, you should have just stayed there. I'm I'm like, (laughs) you went two panels away and and did nothing. And then said, I got to go save him. So the the pacing was, I think, maybe five issues. Maybe it would have been better with another issue. This needed five issues or when Billy and... Kyle, I can't. I can't bring myself to call him Budo because he's just a guy with black hair and a black <laughs> shirt for all four issues. There was so, one part where I was like, "Kyle, who the hell is Kyle?" Um, which is, I think, what I was saying when we read the first Master last time round. Um, yeah, yeah. So they're they're in a helicopter. They're waiting on the other side of the the mountain or the cliff, and slice and dice attack them. And I think that fight with the four of them needed to stay out on the mountaintop rather than have them all go in to the caverns and make the cavern fight sort of that much more busy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm reading, I'm reading page one of issue one and I thought two panels in, I thought, okay, this is definitely not a Larry Hama GI Joe comic. And I know obviously Hama wrote very few stories in the devil's do run. This is Jerwa's, area he had already written a bunch it's been established as of 2005 that hama is not you know writing a lot of gi joe so i'm not saying anything earth-shaking here um but there have been so many gi joe comics written by hama and some of the ways that he writes are very much sort of in my head and issue one there's just all this narration and and then page two it's a nine panel grid with this quick montage of sort of nine moments of different fights where this mystery fighter, and it turns out to be a woman surprise, right? Except that the reveals on the right side of a page, not a left page. But 
um, you're not supposed to see who's doing the fighting, right? You just see an arm and a foot. Um, then you have action. Then you have this fight that, you know, Jay was referring to. Um, and then you get to page, I don't know, you get to pages uh, eight and nine. And it's this sort of flashback to Junko's life before she meets Snake, uh, Storm Shadow. And every panel has two or three narration boxes, you know, uh, as, as she, you know, I was only 15, but it didn't take much life experience to read the hatred on my mother's face that night in the mausoleum. Like, okay, okay. Like, I hope this doesn't happen again. There's a lot. Yeah. And then I turn the page and it happens not just on pages eight and nine, but then again on 10, 11 and then on 12, 13. And it's like, you know, and I, I was trying to be fair. Like I was thinking of like, okay, what's the last time that Hama told a sustained flashback i'm not going to remember the issue number so mark maybe you can help me out here what was the flashback issue like two years ago back in vietnam the storm should have won yeah it was like uh, was it a flashback though 270 is it 277 or 276 yeah but i mean how were those framed were they framed in the present day or were they just told i think they're framed in the present day because isn't the present day isn't it like storm isn't it uh stalker and scarlet in a vamp mm. at a at yeah. a at like a, a parking attendant uh crane what's the <laughs> what's the thing where you can't drive past it until you show your badge uh, <laughs> i, I want to say it yeah well turns uh, no he was no he wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is thank you anyway okay so it's not it's not a perfect comparison but that's a, that's an <laughs> issue long flashback and as I recall, Jay, it's Scarlet and Stalker in the present day, and St- and Stalker is saying, "This is how Tommy handled it." Yeah, I've I've just I've got it in front of me now. It's uh, issue two hundred eighty six, Staten Island at the Fort Wordsworth Gate with the with the barrier coming up. You knew Snake Eyes longer than any of us, Stalker, but you never told me how you all met Storm Shadow. I hadn't even joined the Lerp team yet. I heard about it later from Wade Collins, Dicky Saberstein, and Ramon. Vietnam, and then we're there. Mm. So it was a yeah, a um, uh, a book ended by by sort of modern modern day sequence. So Master and Apprentice two has so much narration, and issue one is just really talky. It's yeah. all this narration, and then you get to the second to last page and the third to last page with Storm Shadow and Junko kissing on the rooftop with fireworks, and then if you look at the rest of these oh my two gosh, pages, those pages like lots of word balloons and you know there are there are different ways to write comics and this is a scene where it's just two people talking so you know it's like it it might be a challenge to give them some business to do it's like are are they like making dinner together is is there someone bringing them like wine and and roses um are they like looking at his sword and she's looking at her sword while they're talking like how do you have one other thing going on maybe that thing can um parallel with sort of what it's like if it's their swords it's actually these are weapons these are instruments of violence you know if they're making dinner maybe they're chopping things or maybe it's like oh that's my favorite food or that reminds me of my terrible father um <laughs> and so issue one here comes was, billy with his terrible father so issue one's not a great start although uh the the final the final page is is a great dramatic turn and then this keeps happening in the other three issues where Issue three has on pages six and seven, this really cool 
mirror image sort of parallel storytelling where Storm Shadow's mm-hmm. on one side and Junko's on the other side. And then there are a bunch of horizontal panels sort of behind them as they're each like telling their story. But it's still too much narration. And what ends up happening is I'm nervous that Storm Shadow getting an apprentice is a gimmick. And that's how I felt in 2005 when I nominally heard about this miniseries, right? Like, oh, there's doing another spinoff? Because it's like, I wasn't reading the main Devil's Due book then. But maybe if there was a spinoff miniseries that wasn't so much into continuity or a different art team, maybe I could, I could read that on its own. And this got featured on the front page of previews, actually, at the time. Oh, uh, that's, a, that's a good reminder. Uh, thank you for thank you for saying so. So I remember how I felt in 2005. Like, oh, Storm Shadow gets an apprentice? I don't know. That seems kind of gimmicky. But it might be done really well. So I sit down in 2023 to read this. And it's done okay. I don't buy that they fall in love. I don't buy that he redeems her and she redeems him. And I, I wish the story that we're here were told differently as sort of present tense flashback rather than past tense narrated flashback. And I, I appreciate the the attempts dramatically to turn her into a villain, to sort of break him. And then her, the ending where she sort of leaves the story is, is, is like a surprise or maybe you see it coming and then it's supposed to be sad and is he redeemed? But it doesn't work for me. It also doesn't help that when... Tommy and Kyle are not in their costumes mm-hmm. in most of this story, and they're hanging out near each other. They look really similar. And if you are one of those artists who has sort of stock faces, um, you know, like this is why people have like mustaches and eye patches and like baseball caps. Or, you know, you like, you sort of like cheat it. It's like, okay, even if Storm Shadow's not in his costume, if he's wearing a shirt, it's going to be a white shirt. It's like, okay, maybe even if Budo's not going to be walking around in samurai armor, he's going to be wearing like a red shirt and a brown like jacket over it. Sort of like how um, in the Smallville TV show, you know, the rule is like no costumes, like like Clark can't have his costume until the final, final episode, the final scene. But for 10 years leading up to that, we're going to put him in red shirts and blue shirts. (laughs) Great, great, great. And and this this series this series even sort of inadvertently nods to this idea that these characters look alike because when Tommy is coming out of his uh, coma or his uh, his being knocked out he sees who we're supposed to think is Junko and he says Junko and it's actually Jinx his cousin and I just sort of like shrugged my shoulders it's like I think that's sort of an interesting idea because you know it's like Japanese lady and this other Japanese lady sure but like. If I see a Japanese lady in a G.I. Joe comic, I think it's Jinx. There's a moment sort of later on in the towards the back end of the the series where there were some scenes with Storm Shadow and Jinx. And I was thinking and I just sort of almost lost myself. I thought I thought it was actually Junko. And they and they're like, oh, no, right. Junko, she's she's captive. Right. This, this she's in a different costume in a cavern. Yeah. And they've, they're cutting her hair. Yeah. I thought that it was Jinx on the covers. When I looked at the covers before I read it, I was like, oh, cool. This one's going to be about Jinx. No? But that's um, I have So at, at the beginning, I, uh, something that I liked about this was the, um, was the approach to color. And uh, it, works, it works best in issue one. By issue four, there's a lot of rendering sort of on top of the 
flat cell shaded like animation style coloring so issue four starts to look less distinct like when there's all this fire mm-hmm. there's a lot of rendering on people's muscles and clothes um, and there's three credited colorists across the series uh right but i just wanted to point out a little thing um in issue two on page six um something happens in terms of color that makes me sad uh in the first panel a night creeper says hit the lights and hit another night creeper yeah uh shoot the lights with their machine guns and then in the third panel the background is a dark murky blue and you just see these two silhouettes with red eyes night creepers in infrared active and then for the next page and a half the backgrounds are dark but the characters are colored the same as when the lights were on which is a sort of cheat or device you can do but i feel like this is an opportunity to either knock out all the characters in like blue like medium blue or gray or pick a different like skin color and a different billy shirt color to uh i don't mean literally but to reflect the idea that there are no lights on here you know like i like i mentioned in our jim shooter interview in sort of old-fashioned comics in a nighttime scene maybe everyone is just blue Everyone is middle blue and every background is sort of medium dark blue. Yeah. Doesn't matter what they're wearing, what their skin color is. And and it's just a way to A, simplify and B, like sort of hammer the, the reader over the head. And uh, so there's, there's a small uh, page and a half where I wish the color had been uh, sort of more consistent. While we just sort of talking about that scene with just uh, an observation. Uh-huh. Uh, they're on the rooftop. He's burning his... Um, his storm shadow outfit, uh, I think. So yeah, we'll never see that again what in, they the, say in the series. Until we see it later. And then he kisses Junko as the fireworks go off. And he says, uh, what time is it? 4.30. Fireworks go off. Boom, boom, boom. Look at it. Fireworks when you kiss me. It's Chinese New Year. Do the do, do Chinese traditionally celebrate uh, New Year at 4.30 with fireworks? Or would it normally be the stroke of midnight, do you think? Maybe 4.30 a.m.? Not Italy. This is a good question. (laughs) I I, I just want to go back to the comment you made about burning his uniform. Storm Shadow's standing in front of a fire. I don't see anything in the fire except for three faces, which aren't aren't actually there. And then this this is one of those things where the artist didn't show it. So the writer has to compensate for it, overcompensate for it. Junko steps in and says, you're finally burning the uniform. Like, I, I need to see some, some not just like a lumpy mass in that fire, but I need to see some clothing and some very recognizable cues that say storm shadow costume. But then, like I said, later, he's got the costume on. And I mean, well, he's got 27 costumes at this point, so... He could have just. Uh, he burnt he one. did mention he did mention a safe house where they think he's a yeah. uh, was a movie producer. So I can imagine he's got <laughs> he could have costumes not only all over. <laughs> spare costumes there. I would, but I bet he's got several of Kyle's spare costumes because Kyle definitely doesn't want to wear his costume in this. Yeah, thing. he's not he's not asking Storm Shadow to get that out of mothballs, is he? But not- notably, when he returns, the, the the costume doesn't have any cobra symbols on it. So. That's a good point. Maybe he just burnt the cobra symbol. Uh, Jay, you were going to, since I made an art comment, you were going to make an art comment? The art in this, in, in a way, it makes me think of um, 
I like the the artist that did the frontline issue with Stalker. And there was another one that was very stylized where it was like you're reading it and there are things, you, you know, you see things that, that you go, wow, that's really good. You know, the line work and stuff around their faces or, or whatever. That's nice. That's a nice angle. But for the most part, I was not a fan of the, the artwork in this at all. Uh, to me, it felt like, honestly, I don't know if either of you guys have, have done you know, actual thumbnails, you know, whenever you first get uh, a, a project or whatever, and you sit down and do the thumbnails, at least whenever I, I would, not that I'm a pro, you know, you try to whip those thumbnails out real quick to, to capture, really to capture the energy, um, the movement of, 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 of the characters in the panels. Those sketches are a lot of times just really blocky, really, you know, mm. you're just blocking the shape in. And to me, a lot of this feels like somebody gave those thumbnails to someone and said, color this in the computer. There's just so many um, panels and, and, and things where, you know, the backgrounds are almost non-existent. Uh, the characters are just, like I said, they're just blocky. They're just shapes um, in, in a lot of things or a lot of times. I wasn't, was not a fan. It was just overall not a fan. I didn't hate it, but I wouldn't track down other work by this artist. Let's say that. I had a similar thought, Jay, sort of specifically, um, I mean, this, uh, you know, as the art, as kind of the, the different artists working on the book, they're sort of, you know, some I, I think I like more than, more, more than yeah. others. But specifically on issue four, I think page six, there's the sort of the crash of the helicopter. Oh. It, the first panel is at night, then it's day. And then Budo in his spirit sneak suits cosplay is lying on the ground. <laughs> and uh, Beat me to it. Snake Eyes and, and Kamakura there. I thought to myself, this looks maybe like a thumbnail that, that has been colored. That, yeah. that may it, sort it, of, it strikes as being uh, fairly unfinished. I think part of what you're reacting to on that specific page, Mark, is that panels three and four have particularly thick outlines for the characters at their edges and their sort of inner uh, detail lines, like the knuckles on Billy's hand on the very bottom or the sort of lines that make up Kamakura's, the folds in his, in his cloak, they're much thinner. And I think that that sort of contrast and inconsistency makes this look less finished. Yeah, I'm going to split the difference between what you two guys are saying. I think that some of the art in this is lively and exciting, but there are a lot of poses. I think of this word stiff, which doesn't quite explain it. Uh, I feel like there's a chunkiness to yeah. this where some of it is the, is the proportions like this is all over issue one where characters are like they don't seem like quite the traditional human seven and a half heads tall or the how to draw comics the marvel way super heroic like 10 heads tall proportion they feel like seven heads tall they feel very slightly stubby and you know i look at this fight uh, between Storm Shadow and Junko in issue one, the, the sort of the, the tournament fight where he's in sort of yellow and she's in red and, and black. And every time one of them is kicking or punching, I, I believe the pose, but I think, okay, the actual energy, the snap, the, the curve, the stretch 
of that arm, the tension of that arm or leg or torso twisting and hitting and connecting, it's actually only 70% of the way there. And that same lack of sort of full energy I see in sort of every panel, even when it's just some people talking or sitting. And so at sort of first glance, because the color is so different and dramatic, the line quality and the sort of like anime style of it is so different than other G.I. Joe, it jumps out as me at me in a good way. Like, oh, this is so different. It's sort of like candy. But then I actually start reading it, and I, <laughs> I think this is what the two of you were saying, or this is what Jay's saying. And I think it all it all feels restrained. Every panel feels a little contained, a little restrained. And then in issue four, it's it's sort of by now I can ver- I can't quite parse sort of who's doing what, but the drawings, the poses, and the compositions in issue four feel pretty different from issue one. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because there's a third artist doing a lot more of the work or how the two artists and a third artist divide the work, or just maybe everyone's rushed. I think inconsistent is the best word. Art art needs to be consistent. You know, that's that's one of the things that, that people always jump on Rob Liefeld for, loving or hate him. You know, you can have snake eyes on one page. And, and literally, he might have a, a visor and a grenade strap. And then the next page, you're looking at commando snake eyes. And, and you go, wait a minute. And you say, oh, that's, that's, that's wrong. But what's, what's I think what's so weird or fun or striking about the inconsistency in this four-issue miniseries is that it still is sort of more similar than dissimilar. Because yeah, the, it's not... It's not Be- like because of the jarring. overall drawing style, thick outlines and cell shaded color. You know, this isn't like Teddy uh, Christensen to Steve Epting. Yeah, this this isn't like like Teddy Teddy Christensen to Steve Epting. The 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 three artists and the two or three colorists, the the three artists and the three colorists here are still uh, working in the same arena. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you don't pick apart comic art as much as we do you look at this and you and you might think oh i don't see a difference i don't see an inconsistency it all looks like mm. what it looks like all the way through i maybe i don't would somebody that's not as familiar with it like i said or you said they might have a problem especially later with you know tommy kyle you know confusion between characters things like that i mean that's where like you you always say that the iconography is important and uh and consistency you know, stay in, staying consistent with what makes this character recognizably this character. I also want to point out uh, there's a panel or two. I, I was re-listening to our Jim Shooter interview, and uh, near the end of it, he's uh, somewhere in it. He says, "Make it clear, make it clear." This is him talking to artists at Marvel in the late '70s and '80s, and he's saying, I'm not saying make it formulaic. I'm not saying make it boring, make it clear. And uh, here is, so what Jay referred to um, sort of in his sort of intro, the scene in issue four, where the like two sort of fights converge in this tunnel. I don't think that was told visually clearly, although the dialogue sort of makes it clear. Um, But uh, in issue, uh, in issue three, on page three, panel two, if you showed this panel, so I see a, a a blurry background of diagonal speed lines. I see Junko in a fight, and there's a hand coming in 
from off panel holding a sword. And she says, as if she's being hit or as if like someone's putting a hand over her mouth and there's a sword hitting her or slashing her. And then there's a sound effect, which is shwumpf. And I looked at this panel and I thought, I don't know what's happening here. I think someone is hitting her with the flat of a sword, but I can't tell if they're hitting her with the flat of the sword in her stomach or like on her legs, like the way that your hand would go down if you were like smacking someone's hand. And it's, it's unclear whether it's like a slice or like a punch. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or a slap. And then a couple panels later, uh, same thing. Uh, it happens again where now the sword is hitting sort of the backs of her knees and and then in the next panel she's uh, kneeling. So someone's like knocking her legs out from under her. And I thought, okay, this isn't about cutting. This is about slapping or hitting. And it's like, okay, the, the panel at the top gets explained with the panel that comes two or three later. And like, that's fine if something's unclear, but something clears it up two panels later, that's not a terrible crime. It's if it's two pages later or two issues later that I'm going to definitely mention it in this podcast. But I wrote in my notes what is happening. And then it happens again in issue four on page five. Um, This is when Kyle is picking up Billy in the burning helicopter. Oh, this page. Slice or dice. I'm sorry, I always get them mixed up. The one in purple. They're both great. I'm sorry, I just got the mixed up. Sees them leaving. So the third panel on this page, uh, I just wrote in my notes, what is happening? Now, from context, I understand it because in the next panel, there's a flame explosion and slice or dice. The purple guy gets hit by flame. He goes, Garg, I'm burning. But I look at that... <laughs> I look at that third panel and I think what I'm seeing, because there's green, I think I'm seeing part of the helicopter and then there's some blue. I think that's the sky with the mountains behind it. But I just see like some diagonal stuff, blue, some diagonal stuff, green. And then it sort of looks like we're looking at a cabin and we see gaps between the planks of wood and someone has a fire or like a light on inside the cabin. And I can see little bits of yellow between the gaps in the planks of wood. But I don't really get the sense here that there's like a building here of pressure or there's flame that's roiling or spreading. And maybe like if you if this were a film, you'd do a sound effect like. If this were a film, that would be the beginning where they show you a, a real tight close up and you see movement and then it turns into edges of like a Warner Brothers symbol or something. <laughs> That's what right. that yes. looks like to yes. me. This, this could sort of be anything. And yeah. again, like if I'm picking, you know, if I'm spending three minutes on one panel in one comic of a four issue miniseries. It matters. Uh, I, I sure am nitpicking, but it also matters because every every panel is a, a story beat or several. And so to the to, to this question a moment ago of would someone who's not as into comic art as us have a problem with the inconsistency in art maybe not i think they'd get to a couple of these panels or this very crowded fight at the end and they may not know why they don't find this issue as as satisfying but i think if you ask them do you like this comic they might say yeah as opposed to yes and here's why i think sometimes this the this the lack of clarity in storytelling 
uh, it's like you can still like a thing and then something in the back of your mind, it's like, well, I don't quite know why I didn't quite understand something, but I didn't quite understand something. You know, some people just don't get comics. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't quite know uh, where the disconnect is, but, um, you know, you could give a you can give some people like the most clear, straightforward comic with no confusing panel borders or anything. And they just, you know, maybe maybe won't get it. I don't know whether it's the reading or the <laughs> the, the time, you know, the, the sequentialness that goes into it. But I feel like a lot of some people just aren't as inclined to reading comics as we are. And then if you hand them a comic like this yeah. and a page like this and they go, what am I looking at? I mean, panels two and four blend together. I mean, when I was looking at that, I was like, what the hell is going on? If it were not for the dialogue, I wouldn't have had any idea what was going on. Yeah, because the fire covers up the gutter that yeah. separates two and four. And then Slice or Dice's word balloon is sitting on where that gutter would be. So you, you read you read straight down from too bad you won't feel it when I snap your necks. Garg, I'm burning. Right. Yeah. So and there's two or three spots, at least in, in this series, where Brandon really has to do the work of the artist, you know, burning snake or a storm shadow, burning his uniform. We didn't see a uniform. We were just told that he was burning a uniform. Um, we, sh we, we should have clearly seen that. We shouldn't have had to. We shouldn't have had to have been told that in dialogue. While we're focusing on this page, what is happening in the final panel? Because, OK, so I get what's happening. It's Kyle and Billy are pushed off the mountain from the explosion. So here they are falling off the mountain. And it's hard to see because there are sort of two silhouettes in the previous panel where I think Kyle's saying NNGH, right? Ugh. Yeah. Um, and uh, but the like the lighting on them and their silhouettes sort of are, are invisible. It's very, um, yeah. Very but my question is, what is the sound effect on the final panel? That's the see, rotor still going. Are you sure? Not entirely. Because, okay, because <laughs> two panels earlier, this is the sound effect of a door being kicked out. Wump. And yes, wump, 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 wump is a helicopter rotor blade sound effect. And uh, that's what I chalked it up as. I, I'm, I'm like you. I looked at that and but, I was like, okay, but we haven't, coming from? we haven't seen a rotor blade for basically two Six pages. Panels. So like. Is the helicopter, even oh, though no. it's like crashed and stuck in the snow, is the rotor blade still going? And if it's still going, why remind us of it in this moment when it wasn't important to remind us two panels ago, four panels ago? So then I thought, is that the sound of other debris sort of hitting the ground when they hit the ground? Uh, is that like little explosions? Uh, if it's the sound of the door being kicked, it might be the sound of the door falling down the side of the mountain. Or like an echo of the door being no. kicked? Only Brandon knows for sure. And he probably forgot by now, so... <laughs> that's what... Honestly, that's what I thought that it was. Because I'm like you. I looked at it and I was like, what is that? And then the only thing that I could put together was maybe the rotors were still spinning. I had another... Um, this is this is story and not art. I had another comment. Can, so, can yeah, I go, talk go about art? Second. Jump in. So, yeah. Um, as as you were talking, I was just uh, I was just searching a, a little in the background about uh, Chris Stevens of Udon and noticed that the original solicits for Master and Apprentice back in the day featured Chris Stevens of Udon as the artist. So the, the big letters, 
think this is the probably the previews sort of ad splash thing from the art studio behind Street Fighter and Dark Stalkers, Udon. The series is illustrated by Udon's star-in-waiting Chris Stevens. So interestingly enough, the, the, yeah, it looks like this was originally solicited, advertised as being Chris Stevens of Udon. And the, I think his art is the first few pages of issue one for, for sure, that sort of more Street Fighter-y uh, style, a little bit more exciting, a little bit more dynamic. Well, those were the, the best pages. I think Eric Vedder is doing backgrounds. Oh, right. Okay. And then I think in issue four, uh, I think, I think since... Scott Hepburn must be the guy doing the page that, that I called out as not liking so much with the very dark black edges or to Chris, it. Or Chris Stevens is doing breakdowns for figures in some pages, and then mm. Scott Hepburn is, is finishing them. But yeah, certainly the, the art seems to be a mixed bag. Some of it seems a lot more interesting and dynamic and exciting compared to some of the other pages, like in Very much four, so. that yeah. page one, you know, with the, the sort of images of Junko and sort of seeing herself in the shattered mirror, whatever, you know, very sort of exciting dynamic. And then you flip the page and nothing else in the issue quite lives up to that, that same level. Yeah. So um, at the beginning, I made a comment that um, all the narration or the sort of off-panel dialogue on issue, on page one of issue one immediately tells me this is not a Larry Hama G.I. Joe story. And in two other places, that very much felt true. On the final page of issue two, Storm Shadow vows revenge. And I feel like a theme of a lot of Hama's G.I. Joe stories is someone giving up a quest for revenge. And, you know, maybe if Hama had written another, you know, 20 or 100 issues of G.I. Joe around 2004, picking up from 155, you know, he would have put Storm Shadow through some paces because he's still brainwashed. But this to me felt very much like not something that Hama would do. No, it's like and then, the Revenge of the Jedi, you know? Oh, Jedis don't get revenge. Mm, mm. Jedis return. And uh, this is sort of a different uh, category or level, but issue three, uh, page 12, Billy says, if we can get a signal out of the mountain range, someone at G.I. Joe HQ is going to know we're here. And I thought, that's cool. He, he, Billy's talking about sort of the reality of I guess, weather or mountain topography or distance or like, you know, radio versus like satellite versus like line of sight bouncing it off of the moon or something. And then I realized, oh, if Hama had written this, there would be additional sort of technical stuff about <laughs> what I just thought. There'd be something What like, kind of radio they were, they were yeah. using. Yeah. Or, or it's like, well, with this kind of weather, we can't do a so-and-so, but if we wait for a break in the so-and-so, it's like, oh, the yeah. cumulus clouds... There'd be uh, some meteorological keeping... information. Yeah, in there as well. and, you're right. That's awesome. And and I'm I'm not saying this to to swipe at uh, at Jirwa, but to sort of just be that much more impressed with when Hama sort of like every couple of pages puts a little bit of sort of technical stuff, and sometimes it's military, and sometimes it's not into uh, his stories. And I think that's one of those things that you read some Larry Hama comics, and then you read some comics by other comics writers, and 
sort of all other things being equal, maybe you get more out of the Hama story, even if you're not quite sure why. You learn things from it. Larry educates his readers in a good way. I mean, I loved it. You know, when I was a kid, we loved that stuff, man. Just all the military jargon. And and I've heard Larry say it himself. Comics, you know, are, are one of the, the, the few things that'll make a kid pick up a dictionary. And it did me. I kept my encyclopedias close when I was reading G.I. Joe comics as a kid. And uh, and we had there was a double page spread that I loved in this one encyclopedia that we had that had all of the military had the four branches of the U.S. military and it had all of their ranks in order by like their patch. And it was mm. great. I had that. I, and, you know, and I would just I'd get the file card. I'd look somebody up. And be like, oh, wow. They're Flint's. Wow. <laughs> that stuff adds to adds adds to the IP. I mean, that's that's why it's one of the reasons why we all love it, because it, it was so grounded in, in, in realism and, yeah, you know, and, factual stuff. All right. So we're sort of ping ponging back and forth between the art stuff and uh, story stuff. And I wanted to point something out and maybe ask a question in issue four uh, on page nine. This is when Satin is about to cut off Chebang's head. He's got, a, he's got a sword to Chebang's neck, and then he has a sword to Jinx's, I guess, cheek. And then there's more fighting going on, and then there's this sort of funny, weird panel on the bottom of uh, Storm Shadow, like, yelling with his mouth open and one eye's partly closed, and the other's like a big circle. Get your hands off them. I'll do anything. Ah! And then I don't quite know what I'm looking at in the final panel. This is the final panel of page nine, and there's this other word balloon styling which is sort of demonic red letters with a black background and we haven't seen that in this issue but we do see it in issue one which i'll come back to in a minute but getting back to this panel page nine in issue four shebang is reacting in pain as there's fire and jinx is reacting in pain as there's fire and there's just very sort of pretty and complicated. I don't know how you do it in Photoshop. If you take some actual photo of real fire and you use the like various like free transform tools like skew or distort or perspective, or if there's some other filter, I don't know how you do it. But comic book artists 15 years ago figured out, colorists figured out how to make like not like a line drawing with flat red and flat yellow yeah. and flat orange, like I did with markers in kindergarten, but like it looks like photographic flame. So I'm seeing all these like really sort of small modeled photographic flame shapes. And I'm thinking, who's talking in this panel? Is it Shebang and Jinx? Well, the word balloons aren't pointed to them. And then I, I start to see what I think is like a chest and a hand. And then I realize there is, help me out guys, one or two like actual like, humanoid flame demons in this panel do you see it i think there's just the one but i think that what you're seeing there i because it took me a second too i don't understand do you see a face over jinx's head it's like it looks like the green goblin mask and is there like a hand across look across to the previous page as well where you've got junko putting on her mask okay in the flames there there's sort of these sort of demonic masks right okay but they're they're both blurry and like skewed yep okay i don't know who it is that's 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 saying those words i mean if that's it's if if it's a devil in storm shadow's head 
Brandon does this in this story several times with Tommy being plagued by demons. And it, it does play an important part in the story because it leads to him getting beat a couple times. But but it's never it's never given enough space. Click forward one, two, three page turns. Top right hand corner, there's Snake Eyes and Junko side by side, and in the middle there's a sort of fiery yeah. demon. Holding talking. a sword. And it's got yeah, yeah, it's got a sword. I am everything you fear, every nightmare made flesh and bone. Your I am your Mirror devil, Storm Shadow, destroy me and you destroy yourself. But notice what's happening in this panel. The word balloon, the first two word balloons point to Snake Eyes and the Fire Demon. The third and fourth word balloons point oh, to yeah. the Fire Demon and to Junko. Mm. And then similarly, in the next panel, it's... Uh, so on the far left, we've got like a rear three quarters looking past Junko. We're like, see like her, we see like her ear and her cheekbone, basically. Yeah. So she's seeing... Storm right. Shadow, and now he's speaking in a completely different red the, word. The balloon. top panel is from his point of view, and the the second panel is what she's from, seeing. Yeah, so she sees him and someone I'm not sure who, and then I think her dad. That's the uh, Yakuza crime lord that she killed. Ryo. Okay, sorry. The Ryo, middle guy is her dad, Ryuji, and the guy on the right Ayata is the or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, you guys go back to um, issue one, uh, page. Six. It's the end of the fight between Storm Shadow and Junko when the crowd is like giving like they're like hooting mm -hmm. and hollering and, and and pumping fists. And that's and the first panel, place we see the devil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In panel one, two, three, four, a regular person wearing a jacket and tie, but wearing a like Japanese demon mask in this black word balloon with red lettering says, Excellent work, Storm Shadow. And Storm Shadow, this like Brandon Jerwa gives it a moment. He gives it a full panel where Storm Shadow is like squinting up because, you know, he's in a, he, there are lights on him because he's he's in a pit fighting. I, I like he, this. He has his hand up to sort of block out the light because he it's like he has to focus on what he thinks he's seeing. And he says, what? And then there's a, another panel where the artists redraw. Thank you so much, guys, for not copying and pasting. <laughs> Thank you so much yes. for not copying mm -hmm. and pasting everyone from the previous panel, but just taking out the demon, but actually redrawing everyone from the previous panel in a slightly different pose, because that's what would happen, because it's a couple of seconds later. Thank you. What if visually, we if, if they did this, because I, I think that you're saying, why is the devil standing there in a suit and tie? What if in that last panel, there was a guy in a suit and tie, didn't have the devil mask on, and was just yelling like everybody else. So it was like Tommy was seeing that projected on somebody. He wasn't really yeah. seeing that guy. It kind of takes the idea that, oh, why is the devil standing there in a suit and tie? It's not, uh, you know, the guy from Angel. And then this this is the same face that appears in the fire when Storm Shadow is burning his uniform mm -hmm. as well. And that right, panel okay. is really nice. The face in that panel. Point in that issue out. four, when Storm Shadow wakes up in a circle of flame and Junko in her new evil costume says, rise, Arashikage-san. And I have something to say about that. Uh, and he says, <laughs> they've made you a slave, Junko. And so I may, I may have been reading issue four a tiny bit too fast, but it's sort of not clear sort of who started the fire, where the fire came from if the fire's real, and then based on those three things, again, 
how much of the fire is sort of Storm Shadow's hallucination. And because I'd forgotten the thread of Storm Shadow seeing this this face that mm. wasn't on fire in issue one, I started to think, oh, is this like an arcane dark magic thing that Satan and the Red Ninjas are doing? Well, yeah, because this is it's this is their base. But it's both. like it's but it's it's sort of too much. It's too much and not enough at the same time. I mean, the fire's real. Okay. Right. The ring of fire is real. Don't I mean, don't you think? Uh, yes. But yeah, it, it just it, it all ties into Storm Shadow's psychosis. I mean, the ring of fire is real. But Jay, what's where is the fire? Like, is it wood that's burning? Is it kerosene? Are there like little like candles or cups or braziers? Like, I don't actually need that much sort of physical information. But because the fire is sort of happening from nowhere on a stone floor. Yeah. That's why I, I thought, oh, maybe this fire isn't really there. I don't like, personally, I don't like the, um, it, it's like we've talked about before. And I know specifically we used an old uh, Neil Adams Batman photo where he had, or a Batman reference where he had a, a photo of a cathedral or something behind Batman, maybe, uh, or a moon or something. I don't like, I, I agree with, you, I know you've said this before, Tim, that you don't like when they put photographs in comic book work. Yeah, because uh, it it like it, it like has different rules and, and different. And later on, we see that with the helicopter when it crashes, that looks like a model. Yeah, you know, or does, something it looks to different, me. Doesn't and it? there's there's parts in here where you know I think it was page one of issue four, uh, the last couple panels where it's like I spent more time looking at that trying to figure out how they did it from a technical stints than than i should have you know i'm sitting there thinking what they do did they put broken glass on a scanner i mean i'm figuring that i shouldn't anything that stops you when you're reading at, that interrupts the story it's not it takes it it takes you out of that moment and uh i don't i don't like that i think that they could i just rather had drawn fire drawn helicopters but it was i mean it was a thing that that we deal with at this time you know like scanning pencils we got all these new tools and, and and everybody wants to try to figure out how to use them and 20 years later we go maybe we should have just drawn that this happens <laughs> two or three times in issue four i i think it happened once in issue two or three but i didn't write it down but someone calls storm shadow Arashikaje's son i thought Arashikaje meant storm shadow so they're calling him storm shadow son which is not accurate <laughs> I think you just want to call him Rashikaje, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't call Mark like Mark Jr. No, Mark is Mark. I'm not Mark's, gonna call Jay Jay. Mark Senior. Seddon's son. <laughs> right. Uh, very good. I, I wouldn't call Jay Jay Senior, right? No, Jay Jay is Jay. Yeah. Uh so I think this is one of those mistakes. <laughs> It'd be Tim Finson. I spy with my little eye. Is this an I Spy? Slice and Dice have different costumes. And Slice, he's the guy in purple. His feels like, sorry, Dice. Dice is the guy in purple. And his costume in this story in issues three and four feels like a small redesign from the original, like 1992 action figure. Yep. Whereas Dice 
who's all in sorry slice (laughs) who's all in white here with a black mask i thought oh this must refer to some action figure from around 2004 2005 and it does there is a 2004 slice action figure which is black and white but it doesn't actually match what's in this story so Mark, you are better at sort of comparing to the toys and noting when Devils Do is referring to specific vehicles or action figures. Do you recognize this costume? Um, <laughs> no, but what I, I think what, what they've done basically is just taken that, that new Slice design from 2004, um, Cloak Cobra Slice version 5, which is like white and black with red touches and just use that as the jumping off point to, to sort of have a little bit of a rede- redesign against that rather than using it, mm. you know, completely one-to-one. So, okay, yeah, while DICE is influenced by version one, but not identical, I think they've done the same for this. They've they've taken the version five and just sort of put in their own little spin on it. To, because to Slice that. version one, you can't see his face. He has that like mesh mm. mask and he has a kind of mask in this whereas the action figure that it's sort of based on you can see his nose and his cheekbones and his mouth yeah i guess so that makes sense they're that restoring they've, they've... it more to the yeah. original mm-hmm. yeah, okay. yeah, I saw, yeah yeah i saw um, a post on facebook the other day of this girl from this was like the late 70s or early 80s and she had made her own um, x-wing fighter pilot outfit and right. uh the people that had posted it were making a big deal about hey this is before vcrs you know, so she couldn't rent that and pause it. She had to, you know, do this. And I feel kind of like that's what these costumes are like. It's like someone looked at the costume, uh, you know, like maybe someone took it out of a bag and said, this is slice version four. That's what I want you to make him like and put it back in the bag. <laughs> it's like, where, where's the details? I mean, where, you know, I think that there's a lot left out of of these character designs. Mark and I were going back and forth trying to figure out which version of Night Creeper was in it. And it's, I mean, this is, this is a, a again, a, a devil devil's do issue with some of the costumes just not being consistent or, or staying on brand. So can you, can you spell it out? Is this, are these Night Creepers at the end of issue one and the beginning of issue two, are they sort of version something crossed with version something? What'd we come up with Mark version five? Yeah, they, probably? they're basically, yeah, they, they reused this same mold a few times, but there's basically a version five from 2003, which has got these kind of like metal details on the head and the legs yeah. and the, the chest. And it's basically that, but they never released it as a purple figure, which makes no sense at all. So, so basically, they've they've looked at this this figure that has been released and and thought to themselves, yeah, let's restore it to what it w- really should be, have been released as, which is a purple figure, so that you've got you've got the best of the the new design and updates, but actually keeping the the original you know color scheme, um, and that's what they've they've used, and it makes perfect sense that they've they've done that really to be honest because that's the figure that should have been the uh the re the, the new release so as a um this this white and black with a little bit of red slice costume i think it looks cool i do think it's a little confusing that the one ninja who's the star of this story is in a white costume and oh by the way we're gonna take a ninja 
who's previously been in a red costume and we're going to give him a white costume, but there'll be a bunch of panels where you can't quite see who's who. Cause someone's in front of someone and there's a crashing helicopter or something. And you know, like if you have snake eyes and Kyle and Billy all in black and snake eyes is the one with the mask. Sure. As long as Kyle and Billy have different hair and Billy has a, an eye patch, that is enough. But you know, there's a way to differentiate three guys all in black costumes. You can have a black costume that's not black, but that's like a very, very dark gray with a little bit of red or a little bit of green or a little bit of blue in it. And maybe not everyone's going to see the difference, but there are there are other ways to separate these things. And just I totally... take the time and draw the details. I mean, if you've got three guys in black, you can still you can change up all those details to make them distinctly different. I mean, and that's what, like I said, I feel like with with Slice and Dice, especially you just. There's no details. It's it's this, the art is lacking in that respect. I've got another uh, I spy if you want it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was this odd sequence where they they've gone to the uh, this nightclub or something. And, and Storm Shadow has got a, a hidden base down in the basement or whatever. And uh, Billy is sort of eyeing up the dancers on the dance floor. <laughs> and uh, Jinx is sort of pulling him away. And. Uh, uh, Budo says to him, I think Budo, you okay? Got to get back on the horse sometime, man. And he says, Ugh, the last horse I was on exploded. <laughs> and, and I was thinking to myself, what? What is that a reference to? <laughs> and, uh, that one took yeah. a second to figure out, too. And I think he's talking about, can, was it Candy? The, no. Am I getting the name wrong? Bongo the balloon bear. He's talking about getting in the elevator. They're getting oh, ready to right. get into an elevator, and the last elevator oh. that him and Storm Shadow were in exploded. I, I, oh my word! I was in completely the wrong direction with that. I'm, I'm ninety percent sure that's what that is. I'm ninety percent sure. He was. I thought. I thought he was looking. He was eyeing up the girls, and then he was feeling all funny because you know <laughs> he gets intimidated by a pretty girl. And you know you need to get back on that horse. Get out. Get get out there. Plenty more fish in the sea. And he was saying the last horse that I was with exploded. And I thought thought they were talking about Candy the balloon bear exploding in that car. And I think to myself, man, Billy, you've not lived. This was you didn't even go out with her. She was just a pretty girl that was in the same car with you once. You know, way to hold a candle for someone you don't even. But that that was a whole different. Billy's like, that. I had a girlfriend once. <laughs> no, you didn't. You just rode in a car with her. <laughs> I can split the difference here because at first I thought what Mark was thinking. And then I looked at the scene again and I realized what Jay has explained, which, <laughs> which begs the question, Jay, is there a scene in a previous G.I. Joe comic where Billy is in an elevator and something goes wrong? Or is this a story that we've... It was issue one. Yeah. They get in the elevator. They're running from the Cobras. And and Storm Shadow and Billy jump in the elevator. Oh right! And right. Junko falls behind, and and the the exploding star explodes. The the elevator cables break because of the explosion, and and their elevator goes crashing to the bottom. And then the next thing is when they wake up and they're in the hospital. So yeah, so they're walking towards the elevator, and <laughs> it, like I said, it, it doesn't make sense in that it's like. It's like Budo's line makes sense if he's talking about girls. 
Billy's developed this phobia. But Billy's looking at the elevator going, I don't want to get back in that thing, man. I mean, <laughs> that was a that was a that was a moment where again, if it takes you out of it, you that joke didn't land. <laughs> <laughs> I like it now, but at the time it's like, well, uh, Okay, no, you know what? It's not it's earlier in the same issue. Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll pause that? and say that it's, that um that throwing star with the bomb on it that was cool though as well it's a nice it's, little it's not even the previous thing. issue it's uh it's like 15 pages yeah early. yeah you're right it's an issue 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 two okay. okay so my my apologies to brandon jurwa if if i'm not reading this carefully enough if i don't remember a thing that happened 15 pages <laughs> earlier despite reading the whole series and taking notes but but i do want to point out something here this is a this is a devil's due challenge where Many things happen on one page, right? This page with the elevator, you know, seeing seeing the dancing women in the club and the elevator. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This this page has seven panels. So each represents, you know, one or two different story, story beats. And I think part of the confusion here is that, one, the sort of effect of like a reader seeing Billy for the first time in G.I. Joe comics, be attracted to women or be in a sort of sexy uh, scenario, that sort of like stays with you for a moment, right? You're like, oh, are they going to keep talking about this? Because I um, liked it. It gets several word balloons, right? Like Jinx like tugs him away. Yeah. And so you sort of expect narratively someone to chastise him or like rub the top of his head and say, it's okay, young man. Like, you know. <laughs> Like, we'll take you to a, a club later, or... You'll find um, your Junko one day, Billy. So narratively, it, it suggests that this... Uh, it's not even a trope, just sort of this, like, narrative, uh, like, trend yeah. that, like, no, you guys are going to keep talking about this, right? This is a fun bit of business. But also what's happening is these final two panels, the artists have chosen particular... It's not a movie, but particular camera angles... Right in the in the first of these final two panels, the camera is like thirty feet away from them, and it's good. Yeah. You can clearly see all of them, the four of them, in a hallway. It's all sort of gray and metal, and there's a cool, weird sound effect that for I guess the sort of elevator like coming to a stop, and then maybe the door is starting to open, and then the final panel, the camera. It's not a movie. The camera's reverse angle. It's now inside the elevator, looking out past the doors that are opening and the four of them are starting to come in and Billy looks up. So in terms of the, again, to use movie terms, in terms of the directing in this scene, is the staging where the, where the actors are, where the camera is and the like up, down, straight, tilt angle of the camera, are these two shots the most effective shots to communicate to us that Billy is seeing an elevator and is nervous about getting on an elevator. Or, just at, just throwing this out there, this isn't necessarily the solution. Do we need to see, like, like a close-up of Billy That's what where his eyes are not, like, filled with terror, but a little nervous? Or do we Why? need to see, like, a reverse angle where the camera is just past Billy's shoulder and we're looking past the back of his face seeing up at what he's seeing as the light illuminates for like whatever the floor is, like floor two, ding. Or do we need like three quick little shots panels of Billy like looking at different elements 
of the elevator before he gets on, like the door on the right, the door on the left, and like the up down button that I guess Tommy pushed, right? Like, like what in terms of in terms of visual storytelling, right? In terms of like Larry Hama drawing an issue of GI Joe with no dialogue to tell you what's happening, he can only show you what's happening. In terms of Jim Shooter saying to his artists, "Make it clear." I didn't say make it boring. I didn't say follow, follow formula. <laughs> like, are these two panels? Are they clear enough to sell the idea? And from our small unscientific survey out of the three of us, <laughs> it's about 50% clear. Yeah, doesn't quite. I, but I, I totally agree. I think that and, and you mentioned it in the first issue when Storm Shadow sees the devil in the crowd and you get that one moment where he goes, what? Hmm. And we, then and then we get closure on that moment where he, yeah. we see what he sees and the devil is gone. So yeah. he must be crazy or hallucinating. Drew and, does those things sometimes. Sometimes maybe it was just a time space thing. I don't know. But yeah, I totally agree. I think that we should have we, we could have had a better idea of what Billy is uh, nervous about. Because right now it just kind of reads like, what? And, you know. And there, there are, you know, it, these are decisions that come from a writer, from an artist, from an editor, you know, like the script may have been perfectly clear and the art doesn't show enough, or maybe the script didn't account for the artist having to cram in, excuse me, fit in so much other information into this one page, or maybe, uh, the artist did a pretty good job and then Jerwa sort of rewrote the dialogue to account for it, but should have gone further. Maybe maybe the dialogue doesn't need to be about referring to a horse, but about like getting on an elevator. It's like, you okay, Billy? Like and then cut the line about getting back on a horse. And Billy can just and then Billy can just say, Well, well, yesterday I was on an elevator that exploded. And I appreciate that Jerwa isn't handing it to us, but maybe with this particular drawing, he needs to. Or maybe now that the writer and artist have turned this in and there's no time to do this. Maybe the editor says, you know what? This is a little unclear. Can you guys make an adjustment? So there's, you know, there, there are opportunities. Yeah. Like maybe just cut it out altogether. Have the four of them standing there looking out the door. I mean, if, if it, if it's a joke that doesn't land, like I said, it takes you out of the story. I do like, I do like the actual setup and punchline like horse and horse exploded. Um, but I think maybe it doesn't fit because we like um, exploding horses. Well, because like Billy's a ninja and he's been sort of in G.I. Joe now for like 10 years. But Billy, Billy's trained. What is it? Issue is it issue 38? The Rod Wiggum stuff where Billy yeah. is, in, is in the Storm Shadow costume, but he's like a smaller kid. Like Billy held a Billy held a pistol to his dad on the cover of 34. Billy was 34. trapped in a landlocked freighter that got right. exploded. Okay. <laughs> so, and, I mean, he's seen some shit. So, is, is the, lima beans. <laughs> so if Billy wants to crack a joke, I like that. Although there's very little joke cracking in G.I. Joe. So I don't know if, if so we need it. But if Billy's actually nervous about getting on an elevator, like, no, I think he's I think he's heartier than that. Yeah. I, you made me think as well. We've not explicitly said this. and But I guess the, it's important that Billy's in this book. And the reason that he is included so prominently in this book is because he was Storm Shadow's first apprentice, apprentice yeah. or former mm. apprentice, uh, because of the, you know him him taking him under his wing after that attempted assassination. And he and, has uh, lost his way. 
he sort of separated from the, the Devil's Due story. We see him a few times, right, in the first 25 issues, but he's sort of out. Yeah, after 21, I don't know if we see him again in I, the main series. I think this suggests a different approach. If if the point of this miniseries is to hold a mirror to the first Master and Apprentice, right? Snake Eyes takes on an apprentice, so Storm Shadow takes on an apprentice. And if the first Master and Apprentice is a flashback, and this one is present day. I think as cool as it is to bring in Satan and Chebang, I think actually what it, this wants to be more of is this comparison of Billy and uh, Junko. I think it proves who's the better master between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow because Snake Eyes' apprentice is still alive. Well, not the first one. one out of two is not bad i'm pretty sure junko's still alive after this story yeah well the comics rule we don't see the body what is what can we can we talk about the name junko i oh my gosh i'm like of all the names that you could possibly use and you're in a story that there's a chance people are gonna take a crap on (laughs) you don't want to name one of your main characters junk oh I'm, <laughs> I'm like, come on. Even if you used another name from like a, you know, Mariko or, or something, anything, Yukio, just pick up a book of Japanese girls' names and, and find something that doesn't look like garbage. Just, just pick up a, an issue of the Wolverine miniseries. Yeah. yeah. Just take one of two names from that. Just pick a name that doesn't look like garbage. That's all I want. What I would be interested in if it had if it had happened i don't know that i want it to happen now but for jorwa to do a third story whether it's master and apprentice three or like an arc within the main book had he continued it would be interesting if if he could bring junko back and do sort of a final closure on the you know kamakura i mean you know maybe maybe this was just setting up another year of the main book where Storm Shadow would show up once or twice, and he's the Phoenix Master in charge of this newly reborn Red Ninja clan, this new Rachikage clan. And maybe Junko comes back as just sort of one more guilt-inducing villain who someone sort of couldn't save. Hey, uh, Electra and... comes back from the dead all the time. <laughs> I, I think she's only come back twice. Oh, it's oh, I doubt that very I'm much. I'm sure it's been I half think, a dozen times. I, th- I think it happens in the DG Chester run a daredevil and i think it happens in miller's electro lives again graphic novel i i know how it feels like it happens it's like the the x-men everybody comes on there goes i gotta do my magneto story i have to do my actually i think i think the joke i think where i can connect with this is like oh optimus prime dies every six months right (laughs) i think going back to electra and the electra junko uh comparison one of the problems that i had with this story was um time was the the time frame And there were two instances. There was a moment early on when everybody's telling their stories where I'm kind of like you, Tim. I I was trying to figure out when this takes place because I wasn't clear until now even whether Junko and Storm Shadow got together years and years ago. Good point. Or whether that happened after he left the Joes. Yeah, because there was there was a line of dialogue that made it sound like the like that had happened a long time ago. You know what I mean? And then and then when we get when she gets captured and they they brainwash her, they go through all this stuff. You know, when I'm doing the plot breakdown, I was like, OK, well, they um, 
you know, the Red Ninjas have got Junko and they, and they brainwash her. And you think, oh, that's got to take a little while. You know, and you think, well, what's Storm Shadow and them doing? Well, they, you know, they finally get there. It's like, I think it would have taken longer to turn her into what she became than it took for the others to find out where they were and get there. You know, I, I feel like she was very hardcore brainwashed very quickly. Mm. And it, this, it, the story read as if her brainwashing and conditioning took place over a long period of time. It didn't read like it took place in a night or a couple nights or a couple weeks. I don't know. I'm sure if you're trying hard to brainwash someone that, you know, could do an awful lot in a couple of weeks. They they do put they do put yeah. the time frame of when uh Storm Shadow and Junko meet for the first time. They said it was six months after Master and Apprentice won. Where where do they say that? Yeah, he this. says that, but then also there's a line too. Like I said, there was something there was a line in there somewhere where it made me think that, that they contradicted themselves. In issue one, I'd been in I'd been living in Tokyo for about six months after foolishly participating in a covert operation for CIA Black Ops branch, Asterix Master Master and Apprentice Volume One. My life was empty and shallow. Then I lived in the night world, riding around, trying to find myself and resisting human contact as much as possible. I was turning a corner at high speed when a figure darted out in front of my motorcycle. So, I mean, it's it's left relatively vague as to when exactly that is because Master and Apprentice 1 was before issue 1 and then sort of Storm Shadow has been okay, kind of so ping-ponging loyalty you know, between Cobra to bigger and lesser degrees up to the kind of modern day where he kind of m- more, you know, more takes a break definitively. Okay, yeah, 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 that could work then because I wasn't thinking that Master and Apprentice, um, I I wasn't real, I wasn't understanding where that took place in the timeline. So yeah, when I understand that that takes place before everything else that we've read, um, yeah, okay, well that makes sense then. In in my defense for not remembering when this <laughs> when this romance starts, even though the story very much tells me, I uh, when I get to that page that. Mark has read. <laughs> I skim it because I don't yes. want to read a lot of narration. Just overwhelmed by in all a, the words in a GI Joe comic. Uh, also, I thought, I thought that the narration was was overdone. She mm. fought like a warrior born, facing down armed killers with her bare hands. And we had oh. narration by Storm Shadow and Junko at different times. It wasn't just one person narration. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's a rule in GI Joe that you can't have narration or narration from two different characters in an issue but i do think chiajo probably doesn't want that or a lot and if you reprinted this in black and white that wouldn't work because the only thing that tells you that they're different is that their caption boxes are different color um we've been talking quite a long time so i think we should head into uh the oh what's what's the good metaphor for the final bet the um yeah final final straight Oh, I got one error detected. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Uh, Error detected. Why not, Jay? I'm going to no prize this one, though. You know, the error detected says no prize incoming. So this goes back to Budo, uh, Kyle, and uh, in the panel where um, Snake Eyes and the others have caught up to the the red ninjas and uh, one of the samurais or one of the ninjas says to Budo, he says, uh, you're in over your head, samurai. 
And it was like, wait a minute, Budo is in his Snake Eyes cosplay. <laughs> so unless the the Cobra guy is just judging by the fact that he's got a samurai sword, which we don't really, you know, uh, okay. But then you think, well, wait a minute, and here's where the no prize comes in. Now, Slice and Dice and most of the named Cobras uh, are, are or were mercenaries at some point. Now, Budo at this point, time i think is working as a as a private investigator or something in hong kong correct Mm -hmm. so it's it's completely reasonable that he could have ran into mercenaries thugs whatever outside of cobra maybe these guys recognize each other out of their costumes so i thought that might be kind of cool if there's a whole other world of budo adventures you know (laughs) that that take place outside of gi joe and outside of the samurai outfit that could possibly involve oh well here's you know and it's like it's like a tv show or something that's that's gi joe but they don't go hard with the gi joe and and oh here's the mercenary this week and his name is bob taylor and 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 bob taylor is the name on slice's file card you know it's it's nice that you think that here's all these operators working in the shady underworld and they're not always 100% involved in the Cobra Joe conflict. And in fact, for a long time, probably they weren't. But before that, maybe their paths crossed. Maybe some of these guys know each other from different things. It's kind of like when they put Duke in the CIA and then every once in a while, Duke would run into somebody else and someone makes a reference to, oh, well, Duke's a a spook, you know, or or whatever. It's like, no, okay, there's more to Duke than we know. So I I just thought at first I was like, how does he know that that's Budo? He's got a, a black outfit on. And then I kind of thought, well, maybe he does, you know, maybe because he's a ninja, he's a mercenary. Uh, you know, they're all over there. Maybe they run into each other. And I, I just, to me, it, it was a way that, that it opened up the world and it was possibly making a whole new realm of possibilities off of what was a missed spot in, uh, you know, or somebody trying to, to cover up artwork. That, that didn't hit the hit the spot. Or maybe he just read the uh, the file card on the back of his figure. Um, <laughs> What's it say? <laughs> I've got three error detectors. Oh my word! I'll, I'll do them fast. <laughs> uh, Faster than mine, I hope. I'm not. Issue I'm not fast. Number four on page nine in panel eight. There's that old devil's do lettering <laughs> glitch where the word uh, the word I has serifs but also the letter i within a word has serifs and you you see both kinds of i in that word balloon um in issue uh number two on the inside front cover and the recap of the previous issue in the final sentence there's a small typo but just as the trio there's an extra space between the words the and trio someone hit spacebar twice but uh the sort of more uh visual one is that in issue number two on page four in the uh, fourth panel as the two night creepers are escorting cobra commander onto the helicopter uh, there is no cobra symbol on his mask or his chest for that one panel i love how the helicopter just appeared out of nowhere that's what those sound effects are in issue four when (laughs) kyle when kyle and billy are being thrown off the mountain in my in my first plot breakdown i had Suddenly, a helicopter appears behind Cobra Commander, <laughs> and the head night creeper goes, "You might want to get this thing off the roof. We're going to blow this building up." <laughs> okay, that that's got to be that's got to be one of the nitpiece nit, nitpick mick, lip, dip, 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 <laughs> nit, 
nitpickiest of nitpicks, an extra space. Oh, crikey. So uh, I think we're done with the issue, right? We can move on. <laughs> yes, let's uh, give it a number. Let's go. Uh, six. Five. It's, it was fine. Uh, six. Okay. I, m- six. I might give it a four. Nah. I might give it a four. That's six. I'm staying with six. <laughs> It was fine. It was fine. It was. You Did know, you guys have a favorite line of dialogue? Um, the exploding horse. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sort of, you know, poor guy. He's just, you know, in the in the middle in the middle of th- things, and you know, exploding. Crikey! Oof. Yeah, I liked um, um, poor guy. when Colbert Commander first shows up, and actually, it's his whole dialogue because he's talking about um, it's about blindness and seeing, and you know, first he mentions the Pete. The people in the streets are celebrating blindly. And then he looks at uh, the two men he should be able to trust. And he says, uh, uh, blindness, it seems, is contagious. And then he talks about the girl. And he says, did you think you could keep her hidden from me? And then he says, uh, he used to believe in the, the power of brainwashing. Or the, the brainwashing could overcome the power of a man's soul. And he says, time and time again, I was proven wrong. And dot, dot, dot. And then at the end, he says, I was blind, but now I see. And, and that's when... The night creepers open fire and i just when i read that i could i could almost hear it you know and and i just thought there's the devil's do cobra commander there's that 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 just mean sneaky bastard i mean he's a mean you know devil's do cobra commander is not marvel cobra commander or the sungo cobra commander he, he might be my favorite cobra commander he's 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 mean he's got a he's got a, a mean streak I didn't have a favorite line, but I did. I did wonder if, going back to the exploding horse, when Jinx pulls Billy away when they're in the club, because Billy's looking at three dancers, and they're in, I guess, schoolgirl attire, but they're mm-hmm. they sort of got long skirts. They I thought, in, uh... I bet this is a panel that Devils do turned in, and Hasbro asked them to redraw it and make it sort of less spicy. <laughs> I don't know. Go back to issue one. Look at, what is it, panel three, page one? Are those statues or are those girls? Those are real people. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I mean, is that shadow? I mean, maybe. If that's not shadow, then that chick's not I wearing mean, very much. They're, they're wearing bicycle shorts. So, I, you know, it's well, like, I'm oh, we the put them in like bathing suits. Yeah. Can you add a line and give them bicycle shorts? Yeah, yeah, probably. Pretty, pretty skimpy. Yeah, could have been drawn bikini with added bikes, bicycle shorts uh, as a last-minute colouring change. It's probably the case. Uh, yeah. Um, right. Okay. I think we're done now. <laughs> with, with <that. laughs> we take longer when, when there's three of us. Um, so, <laughs> so, yes, what do we do now? We say, uh, Tim, uh, where can people find you when we're not talking about... Uh, G.I. Joe on a podcast. Video essays uh, on TV and film at our YouTube channel, Atomic Abe Productions. That's Abe, like Abraham Lincoln. My brick and mortar comic book store, Hub Comics, is in Somerville, Massachusetts, and I write about G.I. Joe at a realamericanbook.com. G.I. Joe, where can people find you? Mostly just Facebook. I haven't put anything up on break room sketches for a while because uh, just <laughs> haven't been in the break room for a while. Uh, but uh, yeah, just Facebook me up there. Okay, Usually raising hell and, and 
getting people mad at me. And uh, if you're new to Talking Joe, you can find us on the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website with links to those places. Uh, we've got an active Facebook group talking about the podcast as they hit. Uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, we've even got voicemail. Uh, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash Talking Joe. And a big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, Justin, Rob, Brian, and Shane, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. So uh, what is next on Talking Joe? On Talking Joe Disavowed, we will finish out our look at the Brandon Jawa era with Snake Eyes Declassified. So that's your next uh, reading homework, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, when we're not talking about Disavowed, we're doing all sorts of other fun things like creator interviews and sketchbook shows and all that kind of stuff while we wait with bated breath for the new publisher to start back up again with new G.I. Joe comics. Can't wait. Phew. So I think that is us done. But remember that... Nobody beats Talking Joe! A real American podcast! It's International Jay. <laughs> oh, it's International Jay since you <laughs> when it's Marks, When it's two Marks, to three, it's, in, Marks, it's American. Marks British. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Later.